everybody. Well, welcome to Make It Happen Monday. This is John Barrows. Hopefully, you all had a fantastic weekend. And I couldn't be more excited for our guest today. I have with us the the, in my opinion, the queen of Instagram and social and brand and everything else that I see because I love everything she's doing. Jasmine Starr, thank you so much for joining me on this Make It Happen Monday podcast. John, thank you for having me. The pleasure is mine. Thank and, you. And just to give everybody some ideas of the background here, um, I went to the VaynerMedia 4D with Gary Vee, like one of the first, I think it was the second one that he had done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I met Jasmine. I had no idea who she was, but everybody else did. Uh, like even Gary, did you know Gary before that, by the way? No, no, no. He knew you though. Like, no, no. I mean, I don't think, no, I don't, I mean, let, okay, for, for all intents and purposes to make me feel cool in this moment, moment, <laughs> well, he did, but uh, I, I don't know how likely that is. Well, cause I got a distinct vibe that all like people there, like legitimately knew who you were. Cause you were acting way too cool to be like, you know what I mean? It was son, like, you're tripping. that is a story you're telling yourself, son. Nobody <laughs> knew who I was in that room. And that is how I wanted all the time. I want to walk in and be the dumbest person that nobody knows to later end up being the black horse at the end of the race. Yeah. See, that's why I love you, right? That's why I love because I'm the same way, right? I I talk about, I don't know about you, and we'll get into all this conversation, but let me ask you, are you, are you uncomfortable with, with the notoriety that you have right now in the sense that, and I'll put some context on it. Like, I've never been like the super extroverted dude out there, right? And when I went off on my own with Jay Barrows, I actually fought really hard to not make it about me. I was like, oh, I wanted to make it a company, right? It's, I can't make it about me. But my buddy convinced me, he's like, John, in this industry, it's, it's sales training specifically, you have to brand yourself. It's about yourself and the content. So you really should go with Jay Barrows. So I fought tooth and nail. And then, then I said, okay, fine. And you know, my big ugly mugs on the website, and I just feel uncomfortable about it and still to this day I, I, I when people recognize me if they recognize me I'm I'm shocked how do you like where's your head with all that I'm just like you very similar um I am a thousand percent introvert I didn't get into the game to become popular I started a business because I wanted to be profitable I right. come from an immigrant family we didn't have much and I just felt like entrepreneurship was the fast ticket the American way to get to where you want to go and there was a time where I had to, I was really, um, I vacillated between understanding the power of a personal brand to, I, I, I'm not, I'm not comfortable being in front of the camera. I'm not comfortable being in front of people. But the minute I shifted my purpose in why I was in front of people, because I wasn't comfortable being in front of people out of, if it came from a place of ego, the minute I started telling myself that I needed to be the face and the name of my brand so that I can empower other entrepreneurs to pursue what they want to do, it was a mindset shift. And now I just understand that to get to where I want to go, I need to be on the front side of it. However I feel on the inside, I'm making a professional decision to grow my business in a faster capacity. And I own that. Yeah. And that's, that's, kind of same thing with me right because i have like i have posters of make it happen that you know and again they have it like with me on it now i'll give it to my customers as a reminder to say hey you know as you keep like keep grinding right and i had a comment some other days like because i talk about ego versus confidence just like you did the fine line between ego and confidence right and uh and and i and i wrote a whole blog post on me and some dude was like yeah that coming from a dude who puts his face on a poster i'm like yeah but you don't get it like that that's the exact reason right and at the end of the day, what we have to understand more than anything 
is that people's opinions of the decisions we make about our business doesn't move our bottom line. Right. Last time I paid my bills with somebody else's opinion was never. So here's the thing. If you want to do nothing, be nothing, be known for nothing, then never make waves. Never put a stake in the ground because people are going to have an opinion. So people would have an opinion, John, if you put your mug on the poster or if you put it, make it half on the poster. People have opinions about opinions. It is not our responsibility to pay attention to any of them. we got to do what's right by us. Understand that we're serving a greater purpose for a small group of people. Anybody else, bye. Like, we're cool. We're cool. So so do you pay it? So with that, do you pay attention to the haters, like the feedback there or like the trolls or that type of stuff? Or you just let them go by? Well, so um, I learned about six years into the business when I started getting a lot of opposition to kind of like who I was and what I stood for, because I built my very first business as a photographer and I quickly gained notoriety, a significant amount of notoriety in my field for what I did. And it really was like a pushback between the, the, the old guard of photographer and art and the way that it was produced to coming in and seeing somebody who's using social media to grow a business and get international recognition and be in the luxury market as quickly as I grew there. And it was a lot of negativity and I was quickly guided by a very wise mentor who said, there is, oh, an opinion may or may not have a kernel of truth. If somebody writes something negative and there is a kernel of truth to it, it'll hit you at your core. And if that truth hits you at your core, you need to tip your hat, thank the hater, like bless and farewell. I learned the lesson. Now, if somebody's coming at you talking about your mama and you're like, there's zero truth in that. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. So in both of the situations, regardless if the criticism hurt and it hurts because there's a little bit of truth to it. And if there's a little bit of truth to it, you got to change you got to pivot. you got to amend. But either way, it's always a positive outcome. Cool. I love that. All right. So, so now let's, let's get back on track a little bit. Cause I just would love having a talk with you. Um, so, so why don't you give everybody kind of that, the, the 30 second background so they know where you're coming from and why I felt it was so important to have you on my podcast. Cause I will tell you, you're, you're different than anybody else I've had on my podcast. Most of these been sales practitioners, VPs of sales, that type of stuff. And, and I purposely wanted to wait until my podcast was at a level that I felt like, like it, it deserved somebody like you on it. So, so please tell everybody where, where you're coming from. Oh, one, thank you for this. I approach this opportunity to connect with your people and with you with like the utmost humility because it's an honor. The fact that I'm not a sales VP, but I can sell ice to an Eskimo where I'm in, I'm in good company. I'm in really good company. At the end of the day, in 2005, I got a full ride scholarship to UCLA Law School. I hail from a family of Latinos, immigrants. We came to this country because my father believed that we had an opportunity to do something great. And in my mind, doing the great thing was to build a legacy for my family here in America, go to law school, be the American dream. Only when I was there, I was just wildly unhappy with the decision because it just felt like it wasn't me. But it wasn't until um, my first year of law school, my mom had a relapse of brain cancer and the doctor said her time had come. And it forced me to have a face-to-face conversation with what life and what death looked like. And it was then at that point in time where I realized we all die. And do I want to die a lawyer or do I want to pursue this life and at least try to do something that I'm excited about and that lights me up? 
And because my mom's life was like kind of in the balance at the time, it became a North Star. And thankfully, I had dinner with my mama last night. She is a walking miracle. Everything I know about fighting comes from her. Like she's just, she's the person who had me, gave me a wake up call. And as a result of that, I had to have this conversation and uh, I had just gotten married. And my husband says, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a photographer. And he said, but you don't have a camera. I said, I know, but if I had a camera, I think I can make a business out of it. And he invested a very simple camera. And he said, one year, one year, let's try it. And if you fail and if it doesn't work, go back to law school. Mm-hmm. And within that first year, our like business just took off. It blew up. And that was, I booked my very first wedding in Oct- uh, like my first wedding photography gig. Like the first time I ever used a camera was in October of 2006. And then by uh, 2009, I was voted one of the top photographers in the world. Most socially influential photographer, most um, influential photographer. There was a lot of awards that came. And that was about that time, a little throwback to the conversation we had earlier. was when there was a lot of resistance. A lot of people saw a relative, like a a quick ascension within an industry. And people are like, what are you doing? How are you selling? How are you sticking out in a marketplace? And for all the good, there was a lot of bad too. And now, so, and that's, so I love that because it kind of takes something from nothing. And and that kind of leads to my first real question for you, which is where do you think your drive came from? Because I'm so context here again. So my daughter, she's seven years old, right? And and I keep asking my parents, like, what did you do? Because I just feel like I've always had a really strong work ethic. I've really just always tried really hard at certain things because I don't like failing those type of things. But I but I ask them like, I keep asking them, like, did you do anything when I was a kid to like to to help? Because I'm trying to figure out what I can help my daughter with as far as that drive and that passion, those type of things. And I still haven't been able to put my finger on it. They don't know. They're like, I don't know. We just kind of let you do your thing, right? So do you have, have you kind of thought about that of where your drive really comes from? I mean, I'm I'm sure from the immigrant background and those type of things, but do you know where it really, like it comes from and and what drives you? Um, I think I, I, to be fair, I think some of it is innate. Um, I asked my mom about this, like, how was I as a child? And she said that she didn't particularly see me as somebody with a lot of drive as a child. But when I uh, was 13, she saw something happen to me to where I was so extraordinarily hard on myself to get straight A's, to show up on time. And we were really, really, really poor. And I got a scholarship to go to a private school. And I was so meticulous about like the two outfits that I owned, like washing and ironing, washing and ironing, because I wanted to like fit in. I wanted to like continue pushing. And then I, when I got, I went to a public high school and there was a time where I just had to like reconcile that I can be one of the pack or I could rise. And it was just something that kept on like an inner internal desire to continue pushing. I don't know where it comes from, but I also do know that in the back of my mind, I felt like I had something to prove. Felt like I had something to prove to my family, to where I belonged, to whether or not I belonged in college on a scholarship, to whether or not I belonged in law school on a scholarship. So a lot of this stuff came from a source of like belonging, like to earn a spot at the table. And um, it's really played out well for my career. So do you think, so I, I, cause I agree with you. I think certain people just have an innate, you know, and they, they almost need that chip on their shoulder. You know what I mean? So, so like, for instance, as an example, being from Boston, right? Like we have a chip on our shoulder inherently 
well, at least historically now, because we've won too much, but, you know, in sports and those type of things, but against New York, right? Because everybody thinks New York when it comes to East Coast. And we're like, yeah, but we're actually more East Coast than New York is. And, you know, and there's some big city. And so we've always had, I think Bostonians in general have a chip on their shoulder. I grew up in a little town between two really rich towns and we played them in sports and those type of things. And so we were always the underdogs and I always had that chip on my shoulder. Um, do you think it can be learned though? Can, do you think that drive can be, like you said that something happened at 13 and it was kind of innate in you. What about those kids? Cause my concern right now is I've seen a lot of, um, the work ethic piece of my industry, right? Like sales reps, those type of things. There's a little bit of the, Hey, where are my leads coming from? What, you know, uh, what resources do I have? Oh, I don't have training where like the go out and get it mentality is starting to lose it. Do you think there's a way that we can foster that? Um, from a, from a parental perspective, I'm not fortunate enough quite yet to talk about that because I am not a mom, but what I can say is I was raised by some really incredible parents and yep. even no, we were really poor, like government assistance poor. My yeah. parents would take whatever they could. They would get like donations from the church and my dad would drive us down to Mexico. I'm in Southern California. Mm -hmm. So we would drive down to like Tijuana and Ensenada and we would give away toys and we would give away clothing. And I think that in my mind as a kid, I knew things were rough, but compared to what I saw in Mexico, three hours from my house, I thought it just, it was like a shift. So all I know is that now that my business is taken up to such a capacity, when I do have the honor and privilege to becoming a mom, I will absolutely be taking my kids to Tijuana and Indonesia and being like, we're going to pass out some toys, baby. Right. We're, we're going to teach you how good you have it and to understand. Because oftentimes I think that the lack of hustle, the lack of grit only comes from the, from the lack of opposition, from the lack of difficulty, or at least the cognizance of it. I don't think you need to live a rough life. I just think you need to be aware of how good your life is to actually get that inner drive to be like, I want every lead. I want to close every deal. I'm going to be the person to push myself. It's not going to be a thermometer, you know, in the office to who's going to get the, you know, yearly annual trip to Cabo. Right. It has to come with it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I think, like, talk to kids about, like, goal setting and, like, what's that bigger vision of your life, right? Paint that. Forget about everybody else. Paint that and then back into it and know what you need to do to be able to get there. Because I see a lot of kids just kind of muddling through. You know what I mean? They're, like, they're they're happy, but they're not. You know, they know they want to do something, but they don't, have, they, they don't have the drive to actually do it. And to your point, you know, I, I read that article that you wrote about talking out both sides of your mouth, right? Because somebody was a little confused. They were saying, well, quit, but don't quit. Stick with it, right? That type of thing. And I think that's where a lot of people are. They're like, I want to quit, but, you know. Okay, so because I because we have like a short amount of time together, let's make this tactical. I love like, let's make it happen. What's next time? So I'm, I'm a salesperson. I'm listening to your podcast. Yep. What, what are the questions that I want answered between you and I so that I can go or so that you and between you and Jasmine, because I just put myself as a person. I like, what can they do immediately after be like, I'm going to change the game right now. What questions do they have? And that's exactly where I'm getting to, because that's what this is all about, like tactical and the, the, our training is the same way. So here's here's this question. I'm a sales rep at a company. I hear about this brand building stuff. I like it. But I'm in a company that, that the marketing department wants to control the message. So they're not comfortable with me doing a ton of posts about, hey, look at me and, and, and using that to bolster the organization. What do I do? I think it's going to be important to have a conversation to navigate the culture of the company first. 
So if you have the rules, then you could play by them. But oftentimes the marketing department is like 10 years behind what the current state of social media is. Mm -hmm. So if you were to have a conversation, a five minute meet, meet with them and say, what, how could, how could, can I present to you some ideas from a marketing perspective that would empower me as a sales representative to push my numbers? So you could go in and say, I'm doing X. Do you think I can experiment with Y to see if I can change the result to Z? I think oftentimes when people go in and they say, okay, I'm building my personal brand. I'm going to become this. What a marketing department rightly so would think, oh, you want to be the captain of your own ship? You want to go do your own thing? You're not going to do that on our dime. But if you went in from a place of humility and said, I think, or, or always ask a question, do you think that this could help me push my sales? Do you have any insight into this? Because I've noticed that other salespeople like Jay Barrows and all these other people I follow are understanding that when I could put a personality to the business and they build trust, they're more likely to buy. Do you think that this could work for me? How could you help me get to where I want to go? When you make it a collaborative effort to show that you have the business in mind far before yourself, it becomes a very different conversation. Love it. So now say that doesn't work. And outside of probably Gary's answer to say, uh, go find another job, um, what would you suggest a kid do knowing the long tail of the career, knowing that brand is just becoming more and more important as we grow? What would you do right now? Would you go to different platforms and kind of do certain things on different platforms? Uh, how would you address it if they said, I'm still not comfortable with you being a Jay Barrows, you being a Jasmine type of thing, even though... Ultimately, we all know that's going to help the business. The selfish part of the business is going to say, yeah, but we want it to be for us. Absolutely. So number one, I would never diss on Gary's answer because that's my answer. Yep. Like for people who don't know who we're talking about, we're, we're making reference to Gary Vaynerchuk, which is where John and I met at a VaynerMedia event. Yep. If you feel like you are so called to build a personal brand and you know you're going to be an asset to a company as a result of that, if you believe that with all of your heart and it makes you want to peel your skin off your face because they're not letting you do that, move on. Mm -hmm. You are wasting your time in a company who is so far behind that won't even empower you to get to where you want to go. Yep. Now, if, however, you're like, I, 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 I am, I'm not sure, I really love this company, I think I can help them move to get to where I want to go, then... Then we can talk about what is permitted and what's not permitted because a company can't say you can't be on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. So first, you've got to prove to them on terms that they are okay with. First, you just have to find out what are you okay with. And once I know what I'm okay with, then I can play with that. And then you just got to prove it to them. It should be your sole mission that you say, I can get one LinkedIn post a week. Right. And I can get two Instagram stories. Watch me make miracles with the nothing you gave me. If you're that good, you will make it happen. Hands down. I love it. Now, say this is a big challenge for reps that I talk to a lot. Um, I'm in one industry. So say I'm selling two pharmaceuticals. Okay. So I go all in. I want to be the thought leader in pharmaceutical sales. I share pharmaceutical stuff. I now get, so I built a big brand. I got a big following on all these different platforms who know me as the thought leader in that space. All of a sudden a huge job comes up in the tech space and an opportunity that is like, whoa, now I got to go sell B2B tech sales to enterprise. How do I make that shift? 
how do I change my brand from being this industry expert in this field? Because in, in context, a lot of think a lot of reps I talk to are a little afraid to because they know they're not going to be in that industry for a long time. They know they're not going to be selling whatever that is for a long time. So they're kind of like, why should I build my brand on that thing when I know maybe in two years I'm going to go be selling something else? How do you make that shift? At this point in time, to be fully cognizant that you are becoming a thought leader in something, but your brand is still you. Mm -hmm. And if you are a thought leader in pharmaceutical sales, you're not a thought leader just in pharmaceutical sales. You're a thought leader in sales. And at that point, it's relation to pharmaceutical. But if they're going to bring you in and sell it to a different way, if you know how to sell, you know how to sell anything. Now, the, the mechanisms, the verbiage, the dialogue is different. But if, if this is a, if I was, you know, top top dog, pharmaceutical sales, and then I'm going to go and sell something in the tech space. I would be very open with my audience and I have made pivots very similar. I went from being a photographer to doing uh, branding and social media marketing consulting to actually empowering entrepreneurs. I had to make three big pivots in my life and I'm thankful that I brought a lot of the audience with me. Why? Because people weren't following me just for photography. People weren't following me just for consulting. People were not following me just for social media. They're following me because they think that I have an insight into industries that's slightly different. Now, I went in and said my brand was a jasmine star, a forethinker, a thought leader, a tastemaker in regards to whatever the current issues are. I went in and started my brand that way. And guess what? I think, God willing, if I live a long life, I'm going to pivot another five, six times as my business diversifies, as my teams get big. And I don't think I'm going to lose people because I'm betting on me as my brand, not a small little technicality in sales. It's going to be who you are as a personal brand that extends across disciplines. People will go with you because of that. Love it. Uh, two more questions. Um, risk and opportunity. How do you assess risk versus opportunity? In the sense that I have a new opportunity for a job, grass is always greener. Uh, what's that risk versus, whoa, that's an opportunity. How do you look at that? And what are some tactical things you could give to people out there to, to assess that to, so that it can help them make a decision? Um, I'm a big fan of working backwards from your dream life. Now, part of the problem is so many of us, I, I felt I succumbed to the same pressure early in my career. I never took the time to identify what my dream life was because it's so easy on social to say my dream life is the Jets and it's the Ferrari and it's the 12 watches on my right arm and 13 watches on my left arm and I'm in a visa every weekend. We could think that that's the dream life. We could be told that. But if that's not anything you want, then that's just trash. So in my mind, because I clearly identified my version of success, my dream life, my satisfaction, that when I look at an opportunity or a risk, all I have to answer is, does it get me closer to my dream life? I don't care that the 401k, I don't care about the sales percentage, I don't care about the bonuses if it takes me farther from my dream life and my dream life has to be identified so that when I look at it, I say, this is an opportunity because even if it goes bust, I could be one baby step closer to ultimately where I want to be. I'm going to meet the right people. I'm going to get the connections. I'm going to be in the right space for it to finally align in my life. Tactically, how far out do you look at for your dream life? Because my benchmark is about five years because anything past that, I'm like, who knows what's going to happen? So do you look five years out, 10 years out? Like what's that benchmark for you? Well, John, we know each other a little bit, so you know I'm extra, right? 
So um, I, I always am a one, three, five, and 10. Okay. I, have, I have way less attachment to my 10-year plan. Right. I was always raised, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to know when you arrive. Yep. But I am hell-bent on my one-year plan. I am just like, I have to hit these numbers. These are the projects I'm going to do, you know, and the longer it gets out, there's more latitude. But for me having these four, these four different benchmarks, I'm like, okay, then I could see where I'm trending. I could totally see where I'm trending. Love it. And then it's just backing into it with the goal setting to get there, right? Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what's the next five years look like for you? What's that benchmark for you right now? The benchmark for me, okay. So this, five years yeah. Okay, so this is crazy. I just had this conversation this morning with my team. Okay. Just like what's been happening in the business has been so cool and so radical that people are wanting to come and they want to pay top dollar to have me go in and consult with their businesses, mm-hmm. have me go in and talk about the strategies because it's a power play of mine. Yep. And I told my team that we're looking at minimum a mid six figure opportunity revenue funnel within our business that I'm looking at. And I'm like, it doesn't get me closer Mm. to where I want to go. And this year it would be great to have this revenue stream, but it's going to hold me back from pursuing ultimately what I want to do in five years. And in five years, I want to be doing collaborative efforts by creating content for business owners that is fully funded, fully free, but fully funded by third-party representation. Ideally, I have a Facebook watch channel where people come in and there's constant premium quality stuff that I could talk about. What does it mean to have a mindset of a leader, a mindset of a winner, a mindset of a business owner to take control of their lives and take the scary steps to get there. I don't want to sit there and try to pit my own stuff. I want to speak my truth and have other people pay for that content. Yes. Now, if I took the consulting, John, if I don't have time to create these free videos, and let me just tell you, for anybody who's watching this journey right now, my videos be ghetto as all get out. And you want to know what? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because I got to continue showing up because by the time the opportunity comes for me to create a sizzle reel to pitch it to Mark Zuckerberg, I'm going to be ready. (laughs) It's going to look like a hot mess, but guess what? I continued showing up. And again, this just goes back to where do I want to be in five years? Love it. Absolutely love it. So Jonathan, uh, last, last question from a seven-year-old daughter. What advice would you give my little seven-year-old daughter right now? If you go and looking back at you as a woman at seven years old, what would be one thing that you would tell a seven-year-old little girl? Uh, keep running fast, faster than you ever thought before, and understand that everything will be okay. That's okay. just it. That's If I can go back and tell my seven-year-old self, you know what, John? If I had even seven years ago, Right. Had the opportunity to sit down and talk about what my dream life would look like. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even dream it this good. Yeah. I don't have a Ferrari. I don't have a private jet. But that's not my version of success, John. If I can go back seven to my seven-year-old self, if I can go back to myself seven years ago, I'd say, run. Everything will be okay. That's what I would tell her. Jasmine, thank you so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, even better than I expected, even my expectations were high. Um, uh, so by the way, Megan, who's my COO, is in love with you, so if you just do a quick shout out to Megan. Megan, shout out, boo-boo. Good. I'm glad you're up in John's ear. Make sure to remind him. Make sure to remind him. That we, we cool. We cool. Uh, I, I went after her. I was like, Megan, you've been, because she goes, she watches everything of yours, and I was like, all right, give me the summary. Give me the highlights of what <laughs> So I used her for that. Um, and and I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious where to find you, but what's 
what's the best way to find information about you and support what you're doing? Thank you, John. On my website, jasminestar.com, you will find all social media, but you'll find me all on social media as well as at jasminestar. Love it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody, please go follow Jasmine. If you like, you know, regardless of being in sales, she speaks the truth in every way. And, and I love your message. And I've always said, you know, you're like a ray of sunshine in a, in a rather cloudy world these days. So I want to thank you for that. And um, I, I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you, homie. Tell, tell, send Megan my love. Send your seven-year-old my love. I appreciate the honor. Seriously, thank you, John. Uh, thanks, yeah. 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 Yeah.